This week on the Twin Geek Cast, the boys give up their redneck ways and explore Dexter Fletcher's musical fantasy, Rocketman. We also got Rambo, Ford vs. Ferrari, new Pixar, and we have Godzilla foot at the box office. Enjoy the show. Movies and friendship. Those are mysteries. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. You want to kick it off, go to uh, Ford Ferrari? Yeah, yeah. So Ford, so we got a series of trailers that came out this week. Uh, we like talk about our trailers in the beginning of the episode here before we get to the actual movie. You know, so first one I took a look at. I just watched like all of these right back to back here. So very <laughs> early first impressions here. And the first yeah. which is uh, Ford Ferrari. The um, one of my one of my most anticipated for the year. Yeah, I'm a little I'm a little indifferent. You know, it looks fine. Um, I like a lot of um, I like a lot of Formula One kind of racing in uh, GT, and uh, um, it's about Shelby, of course, uh, and and Ford's battle against Ferrari going into Le Mans, like trying to prove that they're actually a, a sports car manufacturer. Awareness here. Can you inform me of when these events took place? Um, I know it's late mid nineteen uh, sixties. And it was like a crucial moment for car development in America um, that we were able to prove, like, kind of our might against the foreign sports cars. Mm-hmm, the, the Italians. And uh, our manufacturers, yeah, the Italians especially. And our manufacturers started to be taken more seriously over there. Well, that seems interesting. And they've got a, a good ensemble here, it looks like. They brought in what, James Mangold for this, right? Yeah, um, he's fresh off Logan. Um, he's done a... Walk the Line, which has a pretty good tie into our Rocket Man coming up later. With uh, uh, we've mentioned at least like one other thing with Christian Bale before, right? He did the Three Ten to Yuma remake. Yeah, which was good. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it was good. I I'd say that I, I just saw Vice uh, uh, near Christmas, and Christian Bale's lost a lot of weight already. He looks fit. Yeah, no, I'm not even fit. He looks more like he did in the Machinist already. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, yeah, he looks... Very bad. He looks like he's in boxing shape. He's ready to go. Yeah, he needs to stop doing that. Which is a shame because... Uh, but I appreciate the commitment. <laughs> I had just gained all this sympathy weight for him so that I could do my method reviewing for a vice. Now I have to lose so much weight just to review this. Is that why you, you gained all that weight? It was, it was Yeah, just just to do vice. That, that, okay, I'm going to roll with that for you. Thank you. So, so now you can lose all this sympathy weight for a Ford Ferrari. Yeah, no more sympathy weight. For sympathy weight loss. Yeah, sympathy weight loss. It's on. All right, I'm gonna check in with your weight in November and see how that went. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, perfect. Right around Thanksgiving time, it'll be great. That well, that's the perfect time to lose weight, right? Yeah, lose it all. Then I could. Um, I'm sure he'll have another role next year to kind of ease me back in. Right. He'll play Marlon Brando in the later years or something. <laughs> We'll get a Santa Claus picture or something. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I'd watch it. We got sexy Kurt Russell Santa this last year. I'm, <laughs> let's get sexy Christian Bale Santa, too. I'm game for that. Um, speaking of, like, uh, 80s icons, we also have a Rambo trailer. Yes. Uh, oddly enough. Uh, I watched this one, and I don't know what it's about. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> no. It's about Rambo coming back and blowing stuff up. Um, he uses a bow. Is, isn't that all of the Rambo films? Yes. <laughs> so what, uh, what's different about this one? Why is this, this one's one the last, last one? blood. <laughs> yeah. Which, um, by the way, 
horrible naming conventions for the Rambo series. <laughs> it has uh, Old Town Road in the trailer, which is a popular song, the most popular song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be our, our new meme song for every trailer. Oh, yeah. I'm just waiting for one that's like a um, black coming-of-age story, like a kid coming back into the farmlands, uh, living with his uncle or something, and Old Town Road's just playing behind it, you know? Mm-hmm. I noticed we also have the, the Inception like noises throughout the trailer, too. That yeah. hasn't gone away in almost ten years now. No, I... Uh, we're almost to a new decade, so we have to find a new trailer aesthetic, because it's gotten old. Yeah, uh, what's, what's Nolan working on next? Whatever it is, it's got to change the course of things, preferably. Yeah, he's he's working on Tenant next with Robert Pattinson. Hopefully Something. it won't have any uh, anything like that. Um, I feel like he topped out at Dunkirk, and now he has to level back down to the, uh, you know, make kind of a quiet picture. Yeah, I, I suppose Dunkirk was loud. I'll say that. Yeah, it was it was blasting loud in Dolby. Was... Mm-hmm. Well, that that was really the only way to see it. I still consider like I'm like you you need to see this movie in IMAX. It was an experience film. After mm. that, you know that's about it. It was one of my favorites in that year, but uh, I I haven't even rewatched it. So exactly. It's, why would you? I home? I don't recommend you do. Just preserve that memory of the <laughs> the kind of daunting experience of seeing it in a theater. You're gonna ruin it if you watch it at home on Blu-ray. What I like about that is that the audio informs a lot of the action, which is usually the opposite way around. But it's a lot more fun for me to have it um, audio kind of narrating a story or being the action itself. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm gonna move to our third trailer here, which was the new Pixar film uh, Onward, which is an on title, but. I, it's all right. Uh, what do you think of it? I don't know. I mean, everyone seems to be kind of on board with it. Like, I watched it with my, my fiancé a little bit while ago, and she seemed to really like it. But I was like, ah, I'm not buying into this as much. It's about, it seems to be about, like, the suburban depression of all your dreams have gone to die, and it's not quite what it was promised to you in the movies. Um, but then there's all these fairy tales from the past, and... Uh, do they have to stay in the past, or can we modernize them and move them into the suburbs? Yeah, I don't know, it's a little weird. It's got the Monsters, Inc. vibe with it, but it's mm. a fantasy thing instead. And I'm like, ah, I feel like we've kind of already been here. You know, we need to do something else. And I'm also not a huge fan of the the drawing style they have for the characters currently. No? You know, I it's very kind of the, the modern style here that I'm, I'm not as huge on, and it's all very... Um, I don't see any real shading with everything. Like it, it looks very computery. I don't, I don't get a lot of sense of character from it. It looks clean and uh, it doesn't have a lot of imperfections or hard right. edges. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what I, I really like. I really like that in animation, and I know that obviously with computer animation we move more away from that, but we don't have to move entirely away from it. Yeah, um, I, I feel like it has a well, it has good actors. I feel like it could come out to be something, but. Uh, don't all animated films have good casts? Right. Well, it feels like it might just be, you know, we're coasting off of the Avengers stuff here. we got Tom mm. Holland and Chris Pratt as <laughs> the main guys. And Octavia Spencer, who we'll talk about in a few minutes. Isn't she also in an Avengers film somewhere? No, uh, she's in Ma this week. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure she has, like, a cameo in Avengers. It's weird. I've noticed a couple times if you go back, you'll find Octavia Spencer in tiny bit parts throughout 90s films. It's kind of mm. interesting. Yeah, uh, she's she's had a good career. Uh, she's in a lot of interesting stuff. I don't know uh, about Avengers. We also had her on Shape of Water. 
Right. I feel like, I don't know, I, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Maybe. Call me racist. Racist. <laughs> Damn, you got me. Mm -hmm. um, I think it looks fine. I'm, I'm a big fan of Pixar, so for me to say it looks fine, it, it seems kind of damning, doesn't it? Right, it does, if you're not, like, super excited about it, because what their last big thing was Coco, Coco. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And you love Coco. <laughs> yeah, I could just keep watching Coco. I mean, Incredibles 2 is fine, but... Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right, they did that, too. Is, isn't that kind of remarkable that I've already forgotten about Incredibles 2? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's not very memorable, like the first one. It's... Got it there, and that's gone. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Coco seems to be their kind of last powerhouse film, really kind of artistic one. And this doesn't really look like it's going to be doing that. And I, th I think I'm also kind of tired of the you know dead parent kind of thing mm. going on there. Yeah. So um, until then, we'll have Toy Story four in a few weeks. And Frozen two. Oh, that's just regular Disney. But yeah, still. I don't know, that's the thing, is that that's what I'm talking about when, I, when I'm tired of kind of computer animation styles, that I'm confusing the regular Disney movies with the Pixar movies, because the difference yeah. in quality and style are merging together, like it's not becoming as much of a disparity. You're right about that, and it, it does feel that way, because they've had to put out more projects recently. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully that hopefully Toy Story will surprise us. Maybe. I'm, I have... Bottom of the barrel expectations. I just read like an article today about them featuring a bunch of comedy legends like Carol Burnett and Carl Reiner yeah. and Mel Brooks in it, and like tiny, tiny cameos with dumb pun names. And... <laughs> that sounds okay. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I guess in the meantime, I want to take a look at what we do have available here in the box office. Run through the ones we've talked about before and spend a little bit more time on some of these ones that we haven't talked Absolutely. Much about. Alright, let's go uh, here. Number 10, we have The Hustle. The Hustle, which is the uh, Rebel Wilson. Um, it looks like she's just training to be, um, what would you say, like a, a I don't know, kind of like a gold digger to abuse men and something. It, it seems like a picture for women, but I don't really know which ones are going to go to it. Uh, number 9, we have Brightburn. Brightburn's uh, somewhat fun. It's from the uh, Gunn family of James Gunn fame. Uh, it's kind of like an inversion on Superman. Uh, I had a fine time, but uh, nothing remarkable in it. Mm -hmm. No, it's surprising because it's kind of a horror superhero film, which is an interesting combination. But could be disappointing that it. Yeah, apparently it's not anything special. It could be if it went somewhere else with it. Uh, I feel like that's the only idea it has. It doesn't have like a second or third act that does something else. Mm -hmm. well, uh, it's just that the whole time. There are potentially better films to do it with, you know, like get some real uh, horror monsters, like look at your DC catalog or whatever, your your Killer Crocs and Clayface oh, and yeah. whatnot. Man Bat, even, is a good one as well. All sorts of weird horror stuff, you know, you can go into. Even the uh, evil version of Superman that they already have, I feel like would, you know, you could do something else there. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't have much to say about it. I'm not going to see it. No, um, I don't think you need to. It, uh, it ends with that Billy Eyelash song, Bad Guy, which I like. But that's a, that seems that's on, my only note. It seems kind of on the nose. <laughs> it does. <laughs> He's like, uh, uh, killed everyone he knows, and it's like, oh, I'm a bad guy, duh. Yeah, I get it. Uh, yeah. Uh, number seven, we have uh, Detective Pikachu. Um, which is on the opposite end of the spectrum. Very cuddly and fluffy, but 
Uh, also, not a lot there. There's no, like, blood and guts and gore in Detective Pikachu? What? A little bit during the fight scenes when he um, eviscerates uh, Charizard. Eviscerates? And, that sounds uh, interesting. Its belly pours out. I like imagining this. This is the realistic Pokemon I always dreamed of. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to see a lot more gritty Pokemon movies. I mean, not gritty, but realistic. Look, look what you did to this yeah, conversation. <laughs> it's going to be like a real, actual, dark, gritty Pokemon story. There's going to be like a Jigglypuff <laughs> sex ring or something. <laughs> there are Jigglypuffs in the movie, but I can't confirm the rest. <laughs> I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what kind of sequels this spawns. I'm glad this one took off. And you're the only one on staff that's really prepared to talk about it in any, like, a Pokemon capacity. And you're no, you're the one that's not going to see it. Yeah, so. I'm probably not. What do we have to say? Yep. <laughs> that's just how I am. I'm going on very little, despite the fact that the film we're talking about this week is a new release. Uh, let's see here. At number six, we have Avengers Endgame. Surprisingly, moving down in the box office may not pass Avatar after all. Yeah, the news is it's very, very unlikely to pass Avatar now. Um, how do you feel about that? I'm glad I didn't bet money. I guess. <laughs> yeah, right? I was certain. <laughs> I think I think we were all certain that uh, I I had a feeling though that it would just have the strong opening, and it's uh, maybe about half an hour too long to really get a lot of repeat viewings. Right, it's about another you know twenty minutes longer than Avatar is, and that I think gives it just it doesn't seem like that much, but you know the difference between a two and a half hour film and a three hour film is monumental when you're forced to sit down in a theater and risk having to get up to use the bathroom or, you know, get a drink. Also, also when it doesn't have new innovations, like, this is a pretty good Avengers movie, but Avatar had something totally new feeling, like a new way of doing 3D that was, you know, it kept people coming back. Right, people were going back for the experience of the, you know, the physical, you know, experience of the film more so than the, the content of the film. Definitely. Um, I, I saw it twice in theaters. I, I actually went and watched it in 2D afterwards. Yeah. Well, okay, because think about this as well. I bet all of the really, you know, anyone who really wants to see Avengers again is probably just pirating it. Whereas you couldn't really yeah. pirate Avatar to get that same experience that everyone was, you know, talking about. You're right. I don't think Avatar 2 is going to have anything like the same impact. I don't think 3D is really on anymore. It'll have to reinvent it again for it to come back. Yeah. It's, uh, I've never been on the 3D train, but, you know. No. Um, I, I like Hugo a lot. Yep. Uh, I saw, I remember the one I saw that, the only one I saw that actually felt like had any impact in 3D was the, the Harold and Kumar movie. <laughs> you like to talk about that one. It's, it's a weird, it's, it's a weird option, but, you know, but yeah, I remember because I'm like, oh yeah, I actually feel like they're throwing eggs at me because they've incorporated <laughs> this effect. It doesn't just look like you slapped 3D onto a blockbuster film. <laughs> I like that that's the one time you were sold on 3D, was the uh, egg throwing in Harold and Kumar. N needless to say, I have not seen that many films in 3D because no. of the lackluster experience I felt I got from it. I will actively yeah. avoid watching a film in 3D at all costs. I will too. Uh, I've only chosen to see Alita in 3D this year, and that will probably be the only one I will. Mm -hmm. Oh, it makes sense. You think you'll go see Avatar in 3D when it comes out? Yeah, definitely, to see what the tech has been like, to see where it's going. I, I feel like I feel obligated to do that. Right. But that might be the only one I'll ever see again. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Unless they do, like, a Jaws 3D re-release or something. Uh, that would be alright. <laughs> I'd be up for that. <laughs> yeah, there are very few things, but the things I would see, I definitely have to go see. Mm -hmm. 
Alright, uh, here at number 5, we have John Wick Chapter 3, which you still haven't gone to see, right? Oh, I did see it. Oh, you did. I, that's right, I forgot. That's right, it was last week we were going to talk about it, but you didn't get the chance, and now you did get the chance. Yeah, um, I, I think I like it more than you do. I think most everyone likes it more than I do, <laughs> because I'm bothered by actual, you know, plot contrivances and things not adding up or making sense or, you know, the story not going anywhere. But... Does the gunplay make sense? Yeah, I mean, the gunplay is the, the appeal of the film, and I'd say for the first hour, it's, it's riveting, but then once the gunplay kind of loses purpose behind it, like there's no narrative thrust for all the fighting, then it just becomes mundane. My feeling is like the first one created the narrative, and now it's become like a video game where there's just a premise for action. Yeah, it's a it's more like a weak premise for action though. Like if the great video games have a good story along with their action, then you know that's John Wick one. Whereas this one just feels like, you know, by the end you're like, oh, I'm just playing Call of Duty now. I'm on the opposite end where the uh, sequels have escalated both times for me. This is my favorite John Wick so far. Ah, uh, I disagree entirely. You're just saying that because they have an awesome good, bad, and the ugly reference in it. <laughs> it is really good. Did you did you catch that one? I think so. Which one do you mean? That's when they're in the, the, the shop, and they're like, you know, John, like, busts open one of the, you know, things, and he's, and he's measuring with all the old Western pistols, and he's putting all the yeah, pieces together, good. like Tuco. It is good. That's the, that's the very obvious. I was um, sitting there in the theater, I'm like, ah, this is great, I know what that is. Yeah, there's a lot of um, throwbacks to that in the form of silent cinema, which interests me. Yeah, I, that everything is completely exaggerated in their actions. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. If you like the action of the movies, you'll definitely at least like this. Like, I don't hate the film or anything. Like I said, I, I enjoyed myself still, but it was also kind of weird going in, not knowing yet that there was going to be a sequel, because it felt like this was going yeah. to be a conclusion, and when the... Because you felt in the theater, like, when it's kind of ramping up there, and it's like, it's it's uh, not ending. The, the story is going to keep going. Um, I I didn't know. I thought this one would be so much more successful, and it was. Uh, I And I already knew there was going to be a sequel before I got in there. So. Mm -hmm. Which is a nice benefit to have, because like I said, when it felt, when it was getting up to the end, like, not thinking there was going to be a sequel, I was like, Jesus, is there another half hour to this film or something? <laughs> and then it just it um, ends the, very inconclusively, and you're like, ah, yeah, it has to be that way, because it's too long. <laughs> I have a minor pacing problem around, like, Holly Berry's character. I don't think she's perfect in the movie. No. But, uh, that's really my only downside. Everyone, like, loves to talk about the, the dog fight and how cool that is, but that's that's the moment where the film started to dip for me, where I'm like, why are we fighting here? What's going on? Like, especially because they have that confrontation with that guy who you probably can't name because he didn't matter and didn't matter before these <laughs> events, and then he's just dead. Yeah, you don't need to name anyone but John Wick. Um, the dogs are the dogs are excellent, by the way. Mm -hmm. they're, they're so much fun to watch. Good dog action, just very purposeless dog action. I find <laughs> maybe maybe the best dog movie of all time, John Wick Three. Yeah, now that dogs, whatever home is out of the box office. Yeah. It, it has uh, so low rights to the dog universe. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, let's see. We've actually seen vast majority of what's in the box office here, including this next one here, number four. Yeah. You saw Ma. Yeah. Um, I, I was surprised because it looked like it would just be Octavia Spencer killing some teenagers, but it wasn't that at all. Oh. Um, it, has, it has slices of that. But it's more like misery, like um, 
more about kind of capture and um, the suspense of holding people. Uh, Ma's alright. It has good. Um, it has a good feeling of suspense behind it, and I was kind of. I was just ready for something interesting to happen the whole time. No, so and uh, some. What were you going to say? I was going to say so. Nothing interesting happened. <laughs> There's nothing really incredible about it. It kind of just floats by on its own suspense. Oh, well, that's disappointing. Yeah, I think it's fine. Uh, I think you could do a lot worse. I think Octavia Spencer has a lot of fun in that character, though. So uh, she's worth mm -hmm. going to see a Sue in there. It. I think you. Yeah, I think you'd get a lot out of it as as like a misery thing, maybe as a rental, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't rush to. Like me personally. You might get something out of like the misery side of what it's trying to do, but. I'd, I really doubt it. I don't know why I want to watch a Misery ripoff. I'll just go watch Misery again. <laughs> you can. Uh, I don't know if like her Sue Ann character is supposed to be like an Annie Wilkes like uh, throwback or anything, but uh, yeah, uh, she's okay in it. Uh, nobody else is though. Mhm. Mm well, it's just it's another kind of regular horror film that we've been getting lately. So. Well, we, we don't want to get, like, too cynical, right? Like, the horror movies in the 80s, like, the adults were never meant to like them, right? It was supposed to be like, oh, what are those kids watching? So, uh, if the kids go out and enjoy these movies, that's fine. I don't know. I, I kind of do want to get cynical. It's, like, my favorite thing to do in the world. <laughs> it just be a cynic about everything. I know. Um, I, it's hard for me around Octavia Spencer. She is a good actress. I, I wish there was something else to the movie other than her having fun, though. If I remember right, this is the same director that did The Help. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird thing. Yeah, kind of odd. Going from, from more comedians going to horror, I guess. Yeah, um, this one didn't work out quite as well. No, it's no get out, no. I guess. <laughs> Alright, uh, number three. We're going to kind of skip over here, because we're going to be talking about it. The one's Rocket Man. Um, let's talk about... Uh, let's just, talk about like, the numbers? Yeah, let's look at that. It didn't do uh, quite what I thought it would, but it did uh, just fine. Twenty-five million. I guess uh, Elton John there doesn't have quite the appeal that Queen does worldwide, but you know it's it's not horrible. It's, it's also a musical, which could go either way in the box office. Well, I think one of the interesting things is that it didn't seem to be advertised as a musical in the traditional sense. I didn't realize that no. until later, which I think was a, a a good move. It was a nice surprise to come to, but I don't want to say too much about it until we get there. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um... I, I wish it were on top of the films before it here, though. Yeah, it would be very nice. Um, you know, I wonder if it's doing better in the UK, possibly. No, oh, I bet it is, absolutely. That would make perfect sense, I think. Anyway, we'll get to that one in a bit. Uh, number two, Aladdin has dropped down slot here. <laughs> I mean, it, it has nowhere to go but down. Yeah, well, I don't know. It sounded pretty rock bottom from your review. <laughs> That should be out by the time this is up. I, I hated Aladdin. Uh, mm -hmm. I, they, I mean, no misgivings about it. They did a couple things I liked. They gave Jasmine a bit more voice. They gave her her own song. Right. But uh, other than that, they well, they took out some of the racism of the original. What's the, a little bit of that xenophobia of the Middle East. I guess, but I'm not entirely sold that the, the original is necessarily racist. I don't know what's racist mm. about it. I think it has some archetypes and some stuff that's not even really pulled out of Arabian Nights. It's kind of just improv in there, but I don't think it's—I don't think it's racist so much as stereotyped. Yeah, and not even that badly, I don't think so. No. So kind of odd. Um, if anything, this new one is way more racist with its Bollywood angle. 
<laughs> they at least pulled in um, all the actors of like the right ethnicity here. Um, uh, they they did a good job on representation, but the film does nothing with it. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a sad affair, and I don't know who thought Guy Ritchie was a good idea for this. Do they know who <laughs> um, Guy he, Ritchie is? <laughs> he often seems like he's trying way too hard. Mm. I don't know. This is this is just definitely not his thing. Like I think they, they made the. Ah, Aladdin's a street rat kind of connection, and, and Guy Ritchie makes films about these kind of, you know, underlings of the, the world, kind of and thieves mm-hmm. and stuff. Hey, perfect fit for that. But that is not at all what Aladdin is, so... <laughs> no, and they took away the style and then did the same exact thing, which is, what are you left with? Mm-hmm. Does, does not a lot. Does it leave you with any reservations about the new Lion King film? Um, it does and it doesn't in some way that I think that John Favreau is a lot more apt to do a, a translation than a Guy Ritchie. Yeah, I think the biggest problem I'm finding, because I saw a trailer, you know, again before Rocket Man and whatnot, and I'm just like, I can't connect with these animals because they just, they look like animals and that's it. They don't have any personality or facial features. And the, yeah. the other big problem is that some of them look exactly the same. How different does Scar look from... You know, Mufasa, he looks exactly the same. Yeah, not very, and he had a lot of aesthetic streaks in the cartoon that made him look more interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, even worse than that, I think, is um, the the changing of voice actors here. Like, Jeremy yeah. Irons had a very different and distinct thing he was doing with Scar, whereas, hmm. uh, I don't want to try and pronounce his name, uh, Edgy of Four, that's all I'm going to say is his last name there. Okay. Oh, um, he, his Scar... Sounds similar to James Earl Jones. It's not that far off. So it's made... Um, I I get the same impression that they're just making the same movie, but in CGI. Yeah, oh, and it's just, it's... I don't know, I, I feel like I'm not going to connect with this material nearly enough. It's going to feel very <laughs> vapid. You see, I think it was on Twitter, they put out posters with all the names underneath the lion faces. Yeah, I saw that um. post on Twitter. <laughs> it looked exactly the same. And it, it, the original already has a little bit of a problem with this, with the female lions. Yeah. Where it's like, how does Nala look any different from the other female lions there? She has, oh, she has, like, these green eyes, I guess. That's about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, on the posters, it's just, like, Beyonce, and under her head is just, like, a lion. Um, it lists all their names, and they're all just lions. It, doesn't mean anything or say anything about them. Yeah, there's no design aspect to the characters, and I get that they're trying to do this, like, realistic version, but it, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. I think with kids, it could be a, it could be huge. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I guess the, the opposite is worse with what, like, Andy Serkis did with Mowgli, where you put yeah. the faces of the people on the animals, and you get this weird you know, effect with it, and just very unreal and horrifying. They have human, they have, like, human eyes that, like, follow the camera, and that, it's, it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Very unfortunate. So I guess this is the better alternative, but I'm still not happy about it. Yeah. Um, it, if it's on par with Jungle Book, I think it'll be a wild success. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, probably even more, like, you know, the, the fan base for Lion King is monumental. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a huge, huge... We're going to be talking about it all summer, so uh, yeah, we should is. save some. Yeah, that is coming up soon, isn't it? All right. Yeah. I'll move on. Number one here. Only one we didn't see in the box office this week, despite 
you know, everyone kind of raving about it is uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mariachi said it's like the bottom level of what he could consider fine for a movie. So. Yeah, so Jesse's review should be up soon. I think if not this week, then right after the weekend here, we'll, we'll be leading with it, I believe. Yeah, um, we should have it sometime next week, and we'll be... Um, I, I'm interested to see what he has to say more in depth, because uh, I don't get the impression it, it it's done a very good job. I don't know. The, the whole Godzilla series is varying levels of quality, depending on what you want out of it. I mean, there's only, like, one that has any kind of critical value, and that's the original, and the rest yeah. are all how much you buy into, you know, men's suits crushing cities with their feet. And um, after the uh, Shin Godzilla recently, going back to that kind of men in suits feeling, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure people want the CG thing right now, but uh, apparently they do. It's doing better than a great movie like Rocket Man. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's got that appeal. It's been building, you know, uh, interest for a long time. And I've heard people, I've heard some people who are kind of the, the ardent monster fans who just want to see the action and stuff, they're satisfied with it and think it's really great. But um, yeah. I've never been part of that circle. I'm not I'm not a Godzilla guy. I mean, I hear that it's a great sense of scale, so if you're going to see it, you might as well see it in theaters, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the way you see it. I think that's probably another thing as well, is that this is one of those films that has more of the theater experience appeal, whereas, you know, like what we talked about with, like, Rocket Man, it's something people can imagine renting at home. Hmm. I'm sure I'll see it. I'll probably see it by next week, so I'll have more on that. But um, I, I, I get the feeling it's more of a trailer for uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see how that goes, that whole universe. And as long as people are happy with it, that's fine. But I'm I'm not part of this. You're not happy with it? I don't. I just don't care. I'm not a Godzilla yeah. person. No, I, I don't have any real affinity for the series. I like the 2014 movie, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like to move on then to Rocket Man because I'm I've been excited to talk about it since having seen it. Hey kids, shake it loose together on the spotlight, tell me something that's been known to change the weather. We'll kill the fatted cat tonight, so stick around. You gotta hear electric music, solid balls of sound Oh, Kenny and Ron, have you seen them yet? Oh, but they're so spaced out The Penny and the Trillers Oh, but they're weird and the one for Oh, she's a red king She's got electric boots, come on I was kind of anticipating the film for a little while because I'm a fairly big Elton John fan and it was kind of exciting to see this all come together but what really pushed me over the edge because I didn't think I would go see it out in the theaters because I'm frugal about going and seeing things out in theaters, as we know. But finally, your your glowing review of the film, high <laughs> recommendation, it was like, alright, I need to go see this immediately and we can make it a podcast film because I have plenty of personal things to say about Elton John as well as things within the film itself. And I have a different perspective, like coming from recovery, which is like the wraparound story for uh, 
the basis of the of the musical here. Yeah, I think that's, and I think that was a really good way to start. I like how the film was framed. I kind of wish there was even more framing of the kind of uh, rehab-ish area mm-hmm. here, where he's kind of recounting where his his life has gone and whatnot began and kind of went. But opening up like that in a very dramatic way, you, you just, they just lay it all out on the table. You know, he confesses to, you know, having a drinking problem, drugs problems, sex problems, you know, uh, bulimic problems, shopping problems, like <laughs> yeah. all right out on the table. Like you're like getting it on the record right away that this is going to be a serious representation of Elton John's life. Mm-hmm. And he comes in wearing the. Uh strange orange outfit with the wings yes so you know that all those things must be true right it's a it's a very fantastical outfit very fun i think there's probably some symbolism in there this kind of uh satanic outfit this kind of devil's advocate kind of go, thing going on there sin sin very associated with so i think there's that element to it that that outfit is an uh, uh, uh Conscious choice, is what I'll say. Yeah, it has it has a lot of the symbolism in it that he's dressed very fancy, but he's also run down and looks shot like he's he's slowly taking away like the horns of the costume and yeah, that's a, uh, you can a, see like I was gonna say he's a slowly what? over the course of the film where he, we cut cut back to the you know the meeting here where he's losing more of the outfit and you know taking on more of the the rehab clothes and whatnot. Yeah, he's slowly dressed down until he's in a robe, and then you can see, like, his salvation of letting these things go. Um, and as he sheds, like, uh, the thoughts in the rehab that he's able to um, kind of become more of who he actually was. Like, a, I always thought the process of recovery was, like, chipping away all the parts that were bullshit until we get to who we actually are. So well, that was an, interesting. There's an interesting line early on where he says that he, he's backstage with, you know, one of the bands that he's playing, you know, for before show, and the guy says to him, you know, you in order to be the person that you really want to be, you have to kill the person that you were born to be. Mm-hmm. It's essentially this idea of um, being... But, uh, that makes sense, that he's, that he's had to, you know, become someone else. He had to put on a lot of costumes over his life to mm-hmm. kind of get into the public eye. Uh, he got a lot of that inspiration from, like, you know, like Liberace and whatnot of that era. Yeah, just a lot of the the kind of flamboyant. I think he took from all sorts of influences, and but also from his own interests. I think is kind of where you also get this idea that it's not just that he's becoming the different people he admires. It's very much kind of shaping him own self, his own self. And um, in his uh, role, we have a Taron. How do you say Egerton? I, I listened to an interview beforehand, so I made sure to not mess this up this time. It's Egerton. That's what he says. Edgerton. Yes. Okay. It's not a hard we'll go G, with that. but I've been saying that for, like, the entire time since knowing him, so I was very glad to figure that out before coming in here. Good. Uh, he's really great in it. He he does a good job as Elton John. He looks like uh, like someone that would be Elton John in um, his own memories. Yeah, well, oh, I think he takes on the part of Elton John kind of seamlessly. He was kind of this perfect pick, I thought. Um, you know, he... And also, just kind of having this history of getting here, I think it's kind of a miraculous association that he ended up in here, mm-hmm. having uh, sang an Elton John song when in his character in Sing, as well as uh, you know playing alongside Elton John in the second Kingsman film. Like it's almost <laughs> fate, fateful that he ended up in this role, and he's you know he's a British person as well, so already you got that kind of marked off here, and he looks the part with a kind of more rounder face and everything, and taking on like it was it's obvious when when you think about it. 
yeah, I think it I think it works well to its credentials. It, it is a very British film that Dexter Fletcher comes from um, uh, previously doing like Sunshine on Leith, the musical, uh, which is like the Proclaimers jukebox musical, um, kind of in the sense of Mamma Mia, but around like Afghanistan war. Mm-hmm. Um, then he had a Bohemian Rhapsody most recently, which he saved kind of from uh, Brian Singer walking off the project. Well, I think it's also kind of interesting because he worked with... Uh... Edgerton as well before he did Eddie the Eagle. Hmm. I don't know. Did you end up seeing that? I haven't seen that one. I saw that. I actually saw that because I was interested in the people involved. It was pretty good. Uh, I really like uh, Edgerton though. I, I wasn't Edgerton. sure after the last Kingsman if he was going to have uh, much of a run, but I'm I'm so excited to have him in. I think his best thing yet. Yeah. Oh, absolutely phenomenal here. This is kind of a career making uh, opportunity here, and he really goes all in on the character. He sells the thing, well, especially kind of the hard angle of it of playing a, you know, um, very prominently uh, homosexual character and playing those scenes yeah. truthfully. Um, I think I think there's so much more honesty in it than there was in. Um, I watched Bohemian Rhapsody again the last week with my wife because she hadn't seen it. Um, there's no honesty behind the uh, homosexuality in that movie. Right. Uh, well, obviously, there's a, there's a whole slew of problems with the kind of production and dishonesty and, you know, kind of soullessness going on there. And it sounds to you that uh, Rocket Man here is basically the polar opposite. I think so. I think absolutely. It it doesn't, you know, he gets married, but it's like a you don't even get the woman's name to like after they're married. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't even remember her name at this point. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they don't need you to remember. They just walk out the doors together. But the whole thing is more like, not really so much like a love story, but the partnership of uh, uh, Bernie Topin and uh, Elton John. Yep, which is uh, kind of the central relationship um, of the film and very well done, I think, especially in, in, in capturing uh, Elton's feelings towards Bernie and how they were mm-hmm. somewhat not reciprocated, but also still able to maintain a partnership, you know, and friendship throughout that. Like, they, they display that, I think, really well. And um, it's... It's it, funny because once Topic comes into his life, he's talking about, like, these cowboy dreams and whatnot. It's like Elton had no real sexuality until he came to America and kind of found it there. Mm-hmm. Did you know, by the way, about Bernie Topping before uh, the film, knowing that he was, that Elton John didn't write his own lyrics? Yeah, yeah, I knew uh, I knew he mostly wrote the music. So. Yeah, and I think they do a really wonderful job of displaying that kind of partnership and getting the sense of how he just immediately gets the sense of the, the music and everything and how much he puts his heart into that. When you listen to the music afterwards, you really hear that more than even the, the lyric necessarily. It really enlivened something like uh, Captain Fantastic and the Dirt Brown Cowboy, though, which... Uh, you know, I could pull a lot more from seeing how their relationship unfolded, in, even in this fictionalized sense. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I do I do kind of want to uh, backtrack a bit and start at the beginning, because I want to kind of talk about the musical aspect of the film, kind of going in and not fully knowing how this was going to go, because I'd, I'd seen a lot of people talking about the film a little bit before and the song numbers and whatnot, but I, I didn't realize how much of a kind of experience I was in until they kind of kick it off with uh, starting right out the gate with the bitches back. Great song. <laughs> and they kind of just transport you back from, from this kind of rehand group with his young self kind of leading him, you know, his current self into the old black and white starting off world, the colorless world of his childhood. And it's a really fantastic sequence. And like seeing full on like Broadway dance numbers going on there. I was like, ah, this is the kind of film we're doing. 
this is the right way to yeah. do this. This is a, a fantastic realization of the music and the story, I think, kind of coming together in a very, um, you know, uh, flamboyant musical kind of way. That's the only way I can imagine doing this now after seeing it. After Aladdin last week kind of failing to mean anything when the images were on screen, this does so much with its images to elevate the songs. And um, I feel like Edgerton's uh, contributions on the soundtrack really mean something with the visuals. They accomplish something bigger, and they they go into like flights of fancy. They're really interesting. Yeah, um, I was surprised because every musical needs like a, a thematic thing. What does uh, the character want and I Want Love wasn't a song that I knew, but uh, I'm really fond of it now. Yeah, that was a really great one. I have to say, though, that was that was where I started to notice some of the, the musical issues, like uh, the father character in particular is very obviously auto-tuned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I find yeah. the most part... Yeah, he's definitely yeah. auto-tuned. And there are a couple other characters who have that problem throughout the film, but for the most part, it's really good sounding, and I really enjoy um, you know, how it sounds, because everything does have that kind of uh, electronic sound to it, but it embraces it, and it feels like a new, fresh take. That was the most exciting thing I thought about. It was kind of walking out of the theater, and I thought, this is a soundtrack I might actually buy, you know? Yeah. Because it's, it's still um, very much like John's music, Elton John's music, but it's also very unique. It's different from it. Like, you could listen to it, you know, uh, differently. Yeah, I think Ed- Edgerton brings his own kind of personality into the songs. Um and I feel like he he doesn't have to sing it like that, uh, like John does, because John has such a um, kind of mangled, interesting-sounding voice that would be hard to replicate without losing who he is. Right, it's a very, it's just interesting because he's got a very tenor sound, but it's also very kind of country and bluesy in a lot of the style of his music as well. Um, and that's not exactly the same. There's definitely a lot more pop sound to Edgerton's style here, but it works. You know, I think I, uh, when I first came out of kind of thinking it's how it's like a modern sense of elton john's music and that's kind of the perfect uh you know definition of it for this film coming out in 2019 i think it's really nice to have that too because it's it works well in the film too and the the way he sings it always works with the scene so i was very impressed once we got to uh Saturday night's all right. I knew we were going to be in good hands. Yeah, so that was kind of where I was really on the hook for the ride because, uh, you know, admittedly, some of the early stuff with the childhood stuff, I was like, all right, this is kind of on the nose, you know, typical biopic stuff. And that's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's cliched. Yeah, it's a little cliche, though. But once you get past that into the, the transition of Saturday night's all right for fighting, which, which was at first a little jarring, I'll admit, because I'm like, that song wasn't around at this point yet. That's weird. <laughs> but but I, I quickly got over it because it's, I realized it's just, we're doing fantasy musical things, and it's a very well-done song number, very energetic, of course, because Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting is a kick-ass song. And it's it's, it's, all, it's all shot in, like, one take, essentially, is the idea behind it. Yeah. It's full of long takes, and the feeling is, um, there's so much movement that it becomes thrilling that they're at this amusement park, and all these lights and whatnot are going by, and like you say, it's everything's out of chron- chronology and kind of fragmented in the way that someone uh, that's taking a lot of drugs might remember their story. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a sense of uh, maybe these are like the moments in his life that inspired the music later, right? Like the the want for longing stuff. Of course, he didn't record that song when he was a little baby, right? No, of course we not. Kn- we know that. I was way down so, uh, 
So, of course, maybe, like, these moments in his lifetime were what inspired these songs later on. Right, well, I guess that's the risk you kind of take there when you choose to, to do it in a musical format like this. It's still the best way to go, I think, where you take, you know, songs that can capture the moment in this point of his childhood or whatever at this point, and use it there, even if it's not in chronology, because later on you're also going to do songs that are in chronology, like there are songs sung uh, in the universe that's going on at the moment where he's performing them. You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's a it can be a little confusing, but once you get past like the early stuff, where obviously there's not a lot of Elton John songs to use in that current time period, so they're going to use right. some later stuff. It's fine, just don't worry about it. Like I said, it, it only bothered me for like a second, but then I was completely on board <laughs> because it's a kick-ass song. It's a great song. It's a you know well used too. Yeah, absolutely, and it gives you that kind of very fun spirited thing. The only other weird part I found with it, I was still okay with it, but it was also kind of thrown off. I was because I was kind of singing along in my head, but then there was a moment where lyrics were supposed to come, but instead they were doing a, a Hindi dance number. Yeah, that I was, was like, strange. I was like, oh, that was odd. Like, I wasn't, I did not like it, but I just I was totally not expecting it. <laughs> they take a few liberties with the with the songs. Um, yes, and I think it I think it sounds good generally. I don't think there are any missteps in the song. Um, your song kind of becomes the. Um, well, it was really Elton John's first song to get big, right? So that becomes kind of the, the big song where he's at his piano and he's going to show his family how quickly he could learn this while, uh, while Tuppen's out there shaving. Right. Well, they also have a bit before that. They got the big border song moment where he yeah. does that, which is really great, beautiful ballad song done. But yeah, your song is another very significant one that kind of solidifies that friendship between Bernie and Elton there. And actually, I, I do have a teeny tiny segment you know, tiny story here to talk about my kind of personal touch with John is that your song in particular is a very special one to me because I have done that before. I've performed your song. I did that in high yeah. school. Uh, it was a very special experience. Um, kind of like the only big solo you know I had because I did I did do choir throughout like my four years of high school. But that was a song I chose to sing in front of tons of people. It's it a good one to pick. Terribly nervous, terribly nerve wracking. But I had a I had a good time doing it. It was a good experience. And so, uh, Elton John, like I said, he's got a very uh, special place in my heart, you know, kind of grew up listening to him a lot. Uh, another big experience was I actually got to see Elton John in concert uh, when I was in high school as well, around that same oh, time. Oh, really? Yes, I did. I saw him on one of his uh, big tours when he came through the area here, and that was a very exciting moment because I shared that with my mom. Oh, that must have been nice. Very special. It was like the second concert I ever went to, and I sat on the, we had floor seats for it, which is incredible Damn. to see. Very fantastic performance i would love to see him again while he's busy doing his final tour right now but damn those tickets are expensive <laughs> i love that your song too my my wife used that for her dance with her dad at a wedding so yeah that was special to mm -hmm. us very special song very romantic we, song yeah we also had uh, benny and the jets which is just one of my favorite rock songs i agree i listened to it again today kind of while i was on my way home from work, and I was like, man, this just might be my favorite Elton song. The piano part to it is just so <laughs> beautiful. I'm kind of sad that it's it's cut short in the film. There's a couple songs yeah. like that that are cut short. They only use, like, 20 seconds of it. Same thing with, like, the Pinball Wizard sequence. Though I have to say, it was very surprising seeing Pinball Wizard in the film. was not expecting that. <laughs> and it does kind of bring in the um, aesthetic of uh, the uh, Tommy. There's a... A lot of Ken Russell. There's a lot of connections with Ken Russell mm -hmm. and uh, and Rocket Man. Right. I think it's a uh, again because you got that kind of more surrealist element to it going on here, and that's the the very interesting stuff. But this is all everything we talked about so far. I think these aren't even the best moments in the film. 
far. No, um, I was I was a little bit disappointed because I was waiting the whole film for like the Benny and the Jets moment, and that was a uh, the good thing about it is that was like a song that was somehow meaningful in my addiction, and that was kind of like a spiral to rock bottom songs. So right, that worked for me in the same way that it actually worked for me. Well, that's when he comes out in the the Queen outfit, right? And he's kind of yeah, like dismissing all the booze of the audience when he's kind of drunkenly out there or whatever. I know, when it came on during that, I was like, please don't ruin this song. Don't ruin this moment. No, it was great. And one of the, the, my favorite things about Benny and the Jets I love is that you know what song it is just from that first chord. You play that first chord, and you know what song it is immediately, and the crowd goes into a roar, just like you see in the film. By the way, I want to say that I'm so glad there's not any of the like making of the song moments like Bohemian Rhapsody's full of, where it's like, oh, I have an idea in my head. I just want the audience to get involved. Uh, you know, let's have them clap, clap, oh, and yeah, stomp. Like, like that's my whole song. Like, the actual construction of it, that's, that's kind of lame. Oh, there's a man. Couple, there's moments where they show you the kind of making of the song, or, like, where he, he just kind of sits down and plays out part of it, and they kind of get the sense. Like, that's what happens with your song in the moment, and you get a little bit of the recording session with him and Kiki D for Don't Go Breaking My Heart, but it's none of the, like, analyzing how we're going to build the song up or anything like that. It's just, it's the music, and you get into it. I mean, the, like, the literal way that they took uh, Bohemian Rhapsody from being, like, uh, him being into a big operatic stage, and they spent about 20 minutes building toward the creation of the song, and that's just, like, it just, just shows the music. It's good enough on its own. There's not enough time, you know, especially with this movie. That's was one of my other minor problems with it, is that in probably the first half, the pacing is insane. Like, it's just moving, like, it, like it doesn't have any time to stop, and take a small moment to deal with things it's just like oh we got to get through everything real fast because there's so much to cover when you try and capture a whole life in two hours oh i didn't have any issues at all with the pacing i thought it was just it was going by events like a little too fast like i said especially in the beginning and that's why some of the childhood stuff felt like it didn't resonate quite as strong as it could we're not spending enough time there but that's okay because it's the less interesting stuff um i, I do want to I almost feel like I can talk about this just in terms of the song numbers because there's so yeah. many. They fit so many songs throughout it and not in a, like, a, oh, we just got to throw out another song here. Like, they really I know. they really work to integrate the songs and their they, various musical numbers. They do well to get stuff like Amarina and Crocodile Rock and stuff that you wouldn't like, you wouldn't be front and center, but uh, fans would really appreciate. Well, Crocodile Rock, I'd say, is definitely a front and center song, not only just on its own merits, but in, in the film, it's a significant moment. Well, it's at the at the troubadour when everyone's like lifting off the ground. That's yes. like the shot so, from the trailer, right? I do. I did want to get to that because the the, the lifting of that air is kind of it starts with the homage to Elton's famous like piano handstand thing that he would do a lot in shows, which right. you see kind of yeah. stuff later and whatnot. But it, the the moment is played in the film. It's it's astounding. It's magical where you kind of reach the the chorus part. And it just becomes this dreamlike thing where time slows down and everyone kind of floats in the air. And it's and it's that kind of surreal element that you're missing from a lot of other... That's what makes Rocket Man so special. It's got this different edge to it that it's taking. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm glad they didn't play into you know the song Rocket Man as much as Bohemian Rhapsody did with that song. No. Uh, I feel like... I feel like this is kind of the opera that that movie wished it were. Right. Uh, I think the execution here of Rocket Man was absolutely beautiful. I was a little confused at first because it goes from a very tragic kind of moment to a very celebratory big event moment where he's, you know, we see in the trailer and he's at the, the stadium, you know, for the 
<clears throat> the, the baseball moment and whatnot. And yeah. It's celebratory. And I was like, oh, it's kind of weird to go from that to that. But immediately after, it becomes very clear that that's, they're, they're representing the kind of haze that, you know, a heavy life of drug use will kind of put you through. Where he, he goes from being in the hospital, from just attempting to kill himself, to kind of waking up at the stadium where they're rushing him on stage. And also kind of speaks to how abusive the, the music system is to him, where they're not really trying to help him, you know, fix himself. They're just trying to um, put band-aids on everything until they can get to the next show. He's constantly being woken up in the film, <laughs> which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always finding himself somewhere new and in a new situation. And uh, it's kind of like the excess of his life becomes too much that it's like mounting and eventually it's just like spinning on the piano uh the camera's spinning it's a it feels like you're losing control right oh and you definitely get that sense he like right after the rocket man sequence where he's berating the um the boyfriend or whoever it is his manager essentially there yeah about like all the family coming in he's like they're not supposed to come till next week and he's like it is next week and so you really get that sense (laughs) like the fact that you can't really keep track of time in the film is very representative of, I'm sure, how Elton was, where time just flew by and events just kind of came and went. Yeah, I think that works for me. Whereas, like, in the Queen one, it's presented, like, a, every moment's the actual moment of someone's life. It, it works better as a memory of Elton John's that's presented. Well, it does feel like it's what it is. It's a dramatic representation of this, and it's not as concerned with the, the detail and the recreation of things as much. But when it does do the recreation... It really does a good job of getting the spirit of it and emulating it in a in a respectful but not strictly translative kind of way, you know. Were you surprised at all that it wasn't like such a hagiography, like it wasn't so celebratory? Um, I I was I was really amazed that I know they had him on hand, but he wasn't very involved with the film. But yeah. he sure let a lot of his life in there. He certainly did. I mean, it's a kind of full, you know, top to bottom uh, bit there you know, getting all the way up through his recovery and whatnot, which is, I think, the the best kind of way to, to go about the story. Like I said, maybe a little bit less of the, the childhood stuff or refine it, but basically they get in everything. Yeah, I mean, what do you think that means about Elton John that we got that movie? That he's just, uh, I'm not surprised at all that he's unafraid to, to bear his whole life out there and do it. He's been having to suppress himself and his identity for, you know, a large majority of his career that, you know, now that, you know, he does have the freedom to express it and put it up there, might as well give it all. Obviously, he had to do a lot of confrontation with himself to come with the, you know, the realization of his poor, you know, his bad habits that were killing himself slowly. So once you kind of reach that point of acceptance, you know, there's there's no shame in, you know, putting it out there. Yeah, I feel like people in recovery especially get that kind of freedom that most people don't really have to be uh, to be boldly able to talk about those things because they have to be able to do that to survive and they get to understand that. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a lo- it's a lot different than getting a dead celebrity that's managed by their estate because right. uh, we could never have this movie if you were dead. Well, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Just you know, consider the difference there that the reasonings behind you know covering up Freddie's you know more insecure or you know weaknesses or whatnot whatever you want to call them, um, you know, there's a lot more of a respect thing going in and not knowing what he yeah. would want as well as the estate issue, whereas Elton John's essentially just like, this is my life, put it out there, I'm ready. And that's also a PG-13 movie, this one's uh, R, and oh, it it's, earns its, it's definitely R. R. <laughs> yeah, I, it's I got... Want, I was going to say, um, uh, what, what I were appreciate, you going to say? I was going to say, I appreciate, because there is the very, you know, de- definite... Uh, 
you know, homosexual sex scene that happens during the course of the film. But I appreciated mm-hmm. how it's it's this perfect amount of we're not going to try and hide anything. We're going to treat this as a romantic, you know, uh, moment here, and it feels like that. But we're not going to show you too much, and it goes on for just long enough. I feel like not to be uncomfortable for anyone. I think like I w- I would feel this is the right amount even in a straight sex scene, you know. Yeah, I feel like it's played the same way that one of those would always be played in a movie, and it works out. Right. Of course, like once he's like throwing his legs up around him, you're like, oh, okay. Right. Well, <laughs> and that's fine. That's, that you should have that moment in it. Still, we need to normalize yeah. that more. And the 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 homosexual love here in the film is is very openly portrayed as being very normal, and it's nice to see that we're past the times of this being an abnormality. I think it earns that all the way when it goes there. I feel like it doesn't cheapen any of that. Or it's not, it's never a surprise with Delton John that he comes out that way. Um, I know that, like, well, Freddie Mercury, it was a lot of, like, hidden uh, homosexuality and stuff. Uh, there was there was a lot more wrapped up in that, whereas Elton John came out so flamboyant. Right, well, I mean, it, as people kind of said in the film, yeah, we, we, we know. <laughs> yeah, we're not surprised by you. The, um, they, the, the filmmakers tip their hat music. maybe, I think, a little too much when he calls his mom to unveil it and she's watching Liberace on, on the television. It's like, all right, yeah, that's that's kind of an obvious way of doing that still. Yeah, um, I think that, well, I don't know. I feel like Dexter Fletcher handled it as well as he possibly could. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's it's badly handled or anything. It's just one of those kind of cheeky things where it's like, all yeah, right, yeah. I, see, I see what you're doing. A little, little, little on the nose, but that's okay forgive you um i'm glad that they were able to go there and that it wasn't another pg-13 movie yeah no that would have been awful there's no way you could tell this i think this is the hundred percent way to tell an elton john story um i did i did want to ask because i'm kind of curious what was your favorite musical number of the film oh god that's hard (laughs) um i thought wow I mean, Honky Kick gave me, like, a whole new appreciation for that film and their relationship between him and Taupin, so mm-hmm. that, and I, I really like the way Tiny Dancers used in New Contact. Mm-hmm. So, so I did want to say, because I wanted to get to that, is that the Honky Cat was, like, the highlight of the film there, where they do that, and that's the montage, kind of shopping spree, get addicted, you know, montage there and everything, and it's a fantastic rendition of the song, and it shows how much, how live and fun it is. And in the choreography with it, it feels like the most musical moment of the film, and it has just so oh, much yeah. energy and so much fun. And I agree with you. Like, it's not that I didn't like Honky Cat before because I love Honky Cat. Honky Cat's a great song. But like when you said you had a whole new appreciation for it, when I walked out, I felt the same. I'm like, this skyrocketed up on my list of favorite albums. <laughs> yeah, for songs. sure. I didn't. I've been listening to Honky Cat all week, so I have to go with that one as my favorite. I, that's yeah. that left the biggest impression. That's where it's most traditional. Like, like. Uh, MGM musical or something. Yeah, no, that's totally what it feels like. And I kind of wish there were more, even more musical moments like that. Yeah. You know, throughout where it was very theatrical, you know, and all. I, f- I feel like it gets to earn them between putting them between performance and something like Tiny Dancer, where it's like him, like, wandering across the lawn. Yeah. Looking at, like, forlorn love and stuff. Kind of more I feel like it gets to like earn that. And your song and Goodbye Yellow Big Road, they're all done in a more intimate kind of way. Yeah, and I'm still standing. Gets to go there. Uh, well, whereas stuff you wouldn't expect, like Pinball Wizard and Rocket Man, are more like cursory. Mm-hmm. Well, Rocket Man, I feel like is a very artfully done one as well. You got the whole moment where he kind of sinks in the bottom of the pool, and they bring him out and they they like dress him up in silhouette and everything, and that's really cool. 
It's it's like a really good playlist. Like uh, if someone came in and put this on the jukebox, this whole playlist, you know, you'd have the most perfect night. Well, I think I think anyone, even people who haven't heard all the Elton John songs here, would really appreciate it because they're going to get exposed to so many great ones. Like I don't think people realize how many fantastic and memorable songs Elton John has done, but they fit like forty <laughs> or something in the film. It's incredible. I mean, this song, this this film has like twenty two in it, but he has far more songs. It's it's just like a taste of like all the all that excellent work he's done. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we even get you know we got some deeper cuts in there. Like you said, you mentioned they they play Amarina at one point in the background. That's yeah. kind of a, a background one. Uh, I know at some point they play "Take Me to the Pilot," which I love. "Take Me to the Pilot" mm-hmm. is another fun, fun energetic song. I didn't even, even remember Hercules, not a song I'm that familiar with. Mm-hmm. There, there is a, a even a fun moment, there, like because they do skip over some bigger songs, but they they manage to sneak in like the first couple riffs of uh, "Candle in the Wind" at one point, which they kind of yeah. skip over the significance of that song, which makes sense to me because that's a whole big thing to fit in with the the whole Princess Diana thing. I don't think that's something you could easily fit yeah. into the the film. No, there's a lot packed into that, but it, it doesn't really have enough space for it. Mm-hmm. But you did bring up one I did want to talk about, which was what I felt was the perfect end of the film. It made made perfect sense that they end with I'm Still Standing like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was beautiful. Perfect message, you know, going into that. And I don't know if you realized this, but did, did, you, did it occur to you that what they were doing was recreating the famous music video for I'm Still Standing at the end? No, that didn't even occur to me yet. I didn't think so. So that's the thing, like, you know, kind of being a little bit more aware of Elton John going in than you were. I was wondering that when seeing... But it was, it was a very nice. They do a really great job of recreating the, the actual music video, which is a pretty um, iconic, memorable one. I'm going to send you it the It totally link. has that feeling, though, right? That it that it lives within the space of the music video. Yeah, no, and, it, and like I said, they do a really great job of recreating. I'm pretty sure, actually, some of it is the actual footage from the music video. Right. Like you saw how grainy kind of it looked and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they're just inserting Taron Edgerton into the, the footage of it there. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, I've totally, yeah, I've totally seen this. I remember now. Yeah, mm-hmm. on the beach doing the whole uh, the uh, 80s aerobic workout. Yep, very, very 80s kind of music video. Very fun. But the message of it is what really seals it. Like, the, you couldn't pick a more perfect song to end on or a perfect kind of moment in Elton John's career. Like, this was... 100% the right way to go with it, and I'm Still Standing is such a, you know, uplifting kind of song, and very, you know, uh, has a lot of vitality to it, and it sends a And it gets, message. like, the whole breadth of his experience to, it's a, it's a really, really gay video. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah, it, it definitely is definitely very flamboyant, but, you know, coming at that right time there, and the message of it, you know, coming off of the mm-hmm. rehab and everything, still saying that I'm still a powerful force here, still a very important figure, and I've got it all, and that's a, a really great... Yeah, I mean, survival gives people a great gift of perspective to see what they're able to do, um, and I'm a, I like uh, I'm a Little Love Me again also, near the end, uh, I love that yep. the whole film's just about self-love and acceptance of yourself. That's the, that's the song that yeah, please. Uh, but during the credits, the I credits think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something else. Definitely stick around for the credits because they, like, yeah. I almost got up and left, but then I saw that they were doing the picture comparisons, which was really cool. You'll have a yeah. whole level of appreciation for the costume design going in and seeing them. It's so good. Compared side by side, there. Uh, what I liked about the costumes as well is that they're not exact replications. They have they're they're slightly different than it than the actual costumes going on there mm-hmm. for the majority of them. So they have a very unique quality to us. I'll be shocked if this isn't up for the nominations for uh, costume design Oscar. 
Oh, I could see it nominated in so many categories now. I could see best soundtrack, of course. I could see, you know, best song. Um, I could see best director, best actor, best costume. But yeah, I know that the Oscars will. I know the Oscars may forget it by then too. Right. Well, I think they may have. They may have overvalued Bohemian Rhapsody first. If Bohemian Rhapsody was nominated for best picture, I mean, come on. Jesus Christ! You and it won that. best. It, it won Best Editing. Right. Well, I think the idea behind it was that it was kind of saved in the edit. And that's that's kind of the story that's been going around now as to why it won Best Editing. I'll tell you what, though, like, going back to it now, I see that, well, uh, Dexter Fletcher shot the performances of it. And the pe all people say coming out of it is, man, that Live Aid uh, pantomime is really interesting. Like, that's his contribution to the film. So, obviously, uh, he said that he kind of learned what he needed to do in that project and then kind of took it into the real game with this one. Mm -hmm. I think definitely going with the, the musical element was the 100% right move into what makes Rocket Man so distinct and different, and I'll be shocked if this isn't, you know, turned into a Broadway play. You know, Oh, yeah. It's got to be. This thing is going to rip up the, the Tony season, I'm sure, as well, once <laughs> that comes around. It has I mean, to. Eg Egerton should do it, too. I mean, if, he, if he's available for it and wants it, then... God, that's, it's perfect. Yeah, it was a great role. And like I said, that's why I think, uh, you know, on a more meta level as well, I'm Still Standing was kind of the perfect send-off song as well, is because that's how Edgerton got into this as well. I think he really proved himself capable of, you know, becoming Elton John when he did that and sing, doing that you yeah. know, that version of the song. And ending it here with that same song, I think, that, like I said, there's that meta level of, you know, real full circle there. Especially with, like, The Last Kingsman, they play off each other with, like, the whole baseball theme. Um, like, Elton John puts out the uh, thing and then he bats it away. Uh, kind of coming out in, like, the Dodgers outfit. I got a little chuckle out of it. Mm -hmm. it's a, yeah, it's a nice little moment in the film. But overall, I, I guess, yeah, I was I was thrust into the theater to see this after your, you know, unanimous <laughs> praise of it. Glorious film. Like, this is, what, on the top of your, you know, the whole year for you right now? Right now, I, I put it above High Life as my favorite of the year. I can see it staying that way probably for the whole year. I'm, I'm I, shocked by that because you wouldn't shut up about High Life for long I mean, time. <laughs> if you ask my wife, I've been talking about Elton John for the last like five or six days. I'm sure she's grateful that I got a podcast so I could just shut up about it for a minute. Well, I have to say this is one like when when you were so ecstatic about it, I was like, well, I am totally on board with that. Cause like I said, I'm a huge Elton John fan, and you said like coming out of the film here is that like oh i never really was an elton john fan before i'm like how were you not how was <laughs> i think i <laughs> i think what i says I'm, I'm a fan of the music right but i never attached to the personality because it wasn't my era my parents didn't like him so i had no opportunity to really get into it mm -hmm. well and like i said this is on like the opposite end for me whereas my mom was a very big influence in my liking of this and she was a big fan of like the you know these guys and the Beatles and David Bowie, so I've, I've a very eclectic taste of them there. That that genre and the very awareness of it. And like I said, getting to see Elton John with my mom like that is a very important and personal memory I have. You know, I'm trying to think. I guess my mom would have been more like on the Queen and David Bowie end, and then some Crowded House, uh, a lot of the '80s uh, and late '70s, and she would have been into. Mm -hmm. But not any Elton John. I don't know why. Have you found any particular tracks have been your favorite now? And you're, I'm sure you've been doing a lot of listening since then. Um, I've, I've mostly focused on Captain Fantastic as an album, actually. I, I'm surprised, which 
Uh, it doesn't really have like a standout for me as much as I'm really enjoying it as a concept. Mm -hmm. I think the title track is a really fantastic one. I listen to Campton oh, Fantastic yeah. quite a lot. It's that that kind of. Uh, Elton John has a lot of great range in his kind of songs because it's kind of like more, you know, slow, slower kind of ballad songs, kind of like Captain Fantastic is. But then you got like the big energized one that we talked about with Saturday Night or whatever, or Take Me to the Pirate. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, the biggest one I recommend, and I'll, and I'll keep recommending it, one of my favorite albums of all time is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, just as an entire, it's a, it's a double album. It has so many great songs on it. Yeah, that one's loaded as well. I'm just making my way through it very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. That's one I remember I would I would listen to over and over, you know, like after school or whatever. I would just sit there with my CD player and listen to that one, and I'd read the little booklet of the, the lyrics inside and memorize them all. Yeah, I wish I had more background of Elton John because I really enjoyed this experience, but uh, um, I, I also am very happy with my outcome on it. Yeah, well, I think it's also kind of nice doing this back-to-back -back with what we did El Dorado last week, which he did the soundtrack to. And I think this is a far better Elton John film, by far. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's not what we measured El Dorado by. <laughs> <laughs> what do you measure it by? You measure it by the, the buddy aspect of it. I mean, the music is just one element of it, whereas, you know, there's... That, that's kind of the central focus of this film. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it allows his music to sing a little bit more. I don't know if I'm as big of a fan of his Tim Wright stuff, but mm. I don't think anyone is. So. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not... I mean, that's not, I'm not saying that I'll pick, you know, the title track of El Dorado over, you know, Rocket Man or, or anything else, Benny of the Gents, whatever. Right. Yeah, um, obviously. I think it, <laughs> you get, like, his whole career span in this, whereas, uh, you know, that... That's just a it's it's a fun animation by DreamWorks, right? It's you, not that important. You just seem like you're retracting so much on it now. Last week we were talking about it as the best buddy animated film of all time. You're like, yeah, now it's it's okay. It's a it's a DreamWorks thing. It's all right. It's definitely not as good as this film. <laughs> yeah, I think you're just riding the high of this. Still, next week it's going to be something well, else. I'm, I'm just saying, if this is my favorite film of the year, I don't think. El Dorado was even close to my favorite film of 2000 or whatever. I don't know. I mean, what, what else was good from 2000? Um, what did we go over last week? Was it uh, Titan AE? <laughs> yeah, Titan AE is the, the better film, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what came out in 2000, but it wasn't El Dorado. <laughs> what else came out that year? I don't know. Uh, El Dorado is the only thing that matters. That's what we said last week. You're attracting on all the great praise we gave it. <sighs> Gladiator, Castaway. Yeah, see, not, not not a whole lot there. No, I mean that was kind of a weird year, anyway, right? Well, Going into the new millennium, people are trying to figure out films again. Right, that's kind of where everything weird. Like we have all all this great stuff from '99, and then what happened the next year? And we had a uh, Crouching Tiger, which was bullshit. Um, <laughs> well, you're gonna piss off people with that one. Traffic. That was a great movie. Maybe Traffic's the best film of 2000. Soderbergh? Yeah, I guess. Uh, no, well, I guess El Dorado would be top five. So. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> Never take, mind. I'll take that at least. <laughs> I guess 2000 was a bullshit year. But so. I'm, in, I'm definitely inclined to agree that Rocket Man is so far my favorite film of the year as well. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a much smaller amount than you have, but by far, I, I love it a lot more than anything else going on here. And this is the first film I've seen in quite some time where I'm like, you know what? I think I'll pick up this film when it comes out. I'm I'm actually ecstatic to watch it again, and I can see myself watching it many times. Just like, like I said, because it's not like I'm just listening to Elton John songs again. It's it's very different. Edgerton makes them his own. Yeah, and I I mean I I want to go while it's still in theater. I'm gonna see it at least once more in theater. I hope. Mm -hmm. 
Did you see it with your wife the first time? No, um, I had to. I had to break away to go see it. But oh, well, maybe you should take it to her again this time. I know. I know. I think she. I really tried to convince her, man. I I gave her like every line I could on it. She's oh. like, "Why do you ask me twenty times if I want to go to Rocket Man?" She's she's very tired of hearing about this film. I'm sure she is, but I mean, you just gotta tell her. Tell her like you'll you'll stop talking about it until it comes out on Blu-ray if she goes and sees it with you. I'm glad that she's not like as fanatical about films because it would be hard to contain that much uh, that much enthusiasm in the same house. I guess. I suppose but, your your roof would be blowing off if this film. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. It's it's probably. I don't want to say it's my favorite musical yet, but it's close. I can I can see it, and I'll be really interested when they like full on musicalize it for you know Broadway. But I I also get the very not only is it filled with great music, but that personal angle for you with all the you know rehab and addiction stuff. I'm sure that really resonates. I think it has a lot to offer for mental health as well. If people going in and they could see Elton John going through this problems, then they know they can because anyone could do it. And uh, and things like addiction don't really choose who it's going to affect, so that's very powerful messaging. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, I think this is the best version of this kind of film you could really hope for. We we're talking as well, like what kind of music biopic is equivalent to this? You know, what like I think yeah. the closest we came we talked about was like uh, Oliver Stone's The Doors, but I wouldn't even classify it the same. Yeah, the doors. I'm I'm glad we didn't do that this week because it's it's a lot emptier. It's more of the form formulaic uh, decision on how that would go. Right. I like uh, walk the line a lot, but I don't think it's as close as others do. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, those those kind of coast off of one really fantastic performance and a good soundtrack to pick from. But this is something really special with that kind of musical format and really going all sorts of the kind of fantastical element and doing very, you know, surreal things with the imagery. At least that one, Walking Phoenix, gets to do a little bit of the performance as well. I mean, Johnny Cash a lot easier to imitate than Elton John, but but still very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, you know, Edgerton just does a fantastic job of embodying Elton John's character, and you really believe it's a character, and he's really proved himself considerably as an actor here, going all in for this role. Feel like I think he could do anything after this. I think he could be viable for the award, but I know the Academy doesn't like to award Best Actor when it was just like in, what What are we, June? Yeah. It's June right now. I hope they don't forget about it. No, yeah. I don't think they will, but this is, you know, ho- hopefully they don't. I haven't seen anything else yet award-worthy, you know, so. Um, I've, I've seen a few things, but I don't think they're going to win awards, right? Nothing that's, like, definitely going to win an awards, but I felt kind of the same way just through all of last year, so we'll I see. feel like maybe you could give it, as far as what I've seen, Transit could win a foreign award, Woman at War is viable for a nomination for yeah. a foreign award, High Life could be You think Parasite's going to win something. a foreign award? Uh, it, it probably will, right? And it has a good chance to get nominated for Best Picture, too. Yeah, potentially. I don't know. I mean, this is without having even having access to see it, so... Right, that comes out in October here, I think, or November. I, so. don't, I don't recall, I already missed the day. I, I've got terrible memory, man. <laughs> and we have, like, Apollo 11 that's almost 90% sure to win the best documentary, right? Uh, I haven't heard of any others right now. Last year was so full of documentaries, I feel like they all came out then, so we have to wait a couple of years for them again. Here's where I'm going to make, uh, make, a, make a bold prediction that... Uh, you know who's gonna? Tom Hanks is gonna win the actor Oscar this year for uh, uh, Mr. Rogers. I mean, it's a shame because I know it's not gonna be as good as this, but I also agree with you. 
I think you give this film, you're, you're just flying on the highness of this film here still. Like, you're saying nothing's going to beat this. There's no possible way. But you were just saying the same shit about High Life, you know. No, I, I wasn't really saying that about High Life. I know that High Life's niche. I know totally it's not were. You were either. totally saying it's the best thing, like, ever happened. It's like this transformative thing and nothing's going to beat it here. You're talking to like, oh, well, I got my film of the year locked in already. <laughs> I like to encourage people to go see things that I like. Mm-hmm. But, this um, one, this one, I'll at least join you on and say yes, definitely go see Rocket Man. It deserves the attention and is a glorious representation of a fantastic musician's life. The difference here, I think, is it's not very divisive. I I think everyone could get something from Rocket Man. I think High Life would be like a well, that's really my special interest, right? That's a lot like Under the Skin or Alien yeah. stuff that I really love, but. That's right up your alley, but I think surprisingly this also fits into your aesthetic very greatly. I'm not surprised at all that you're 100% behind the film, and I'm I'm so very glad, and I'm glad we chose to talk about it this week. No, me too. I think it it works perfectly with, like, my alien space aesthetic, so that's good. This is is the first film of the year. I definitely feel great about recommending people go out and see Rocket Man, please. Out of 62 films, it's also my favorite that I've seen. Mm Mm-hmm. If that's not enough to get you, I, I don't know what is. Right. We All have right. no higher recommendation. Mm-hmm. Except a review coming out this week, so look forward to that. Well, uh, Calvin, would you do us a favor and play us out with a Nelton John tune? When I look back, boy, I must have been green. Bobbing in the country, fishing in the stream. Looking for an answer. Try to find a sign Until I saw your city lights Honey, I was blind They said, get back, funky cat Better get back to the woods Well, I quit those days And my redneck ways And I, oh, 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 oh Oh, the change is gonna do me good